we are now going to be reading the Bible. To read along, it will be on the screen and there are hard copies up the back. We are reading from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 to 17. Paul, called to be an apostle by Christ Jesus, by the will of God and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his place given you in Jesus Christ. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Jesus Christ be emptied of its power. Thanks, Vinny. You read that real well, mate. That was awesome. Well, let's uh, pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word to us in Corinthians. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your Apostle Paul, who faithfully wrote down your words for the Corinthians and for us to uh, listen to today too. Father, for those of us who need encouragement tonight, encourage us. For those of us tonight who need to be motivated, help to motivate us. For those of us tonight, Lord, who need uh, a rebuke from you, help us to hear that with a soft heart. Lord God, we thank you for being so gracious and generous to us. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that as we consider Paul's word to the Corinthians, that we'd also see the application to our lives today too. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a question for us tonight. And the question is... What is stopping evangelism today in Australia? What is stopping evangelism today in Australia? Now, before I look at that question, you might ask yourself, why is evangelism important? Uh, Hopefully most of us have heard the word evangelism before. It just means promoting the good news, basically. And the good news that we promote as Christians is the good news about Jesus. The good news that Jesus himself declared in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, when he first started his ministry, he said, I have come to bring the kingdom of heaven, repent and believe the good news. And I think that's probably the clearest example 
of clearest sentence of what we as Christians believe. We believe Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, that he is truly, fully God and fully man, and he came to uh, show us um, the kingdom, to teach us about the kingdom, and to actually lay his life down for us because all the wrongdoing we do stops us entering into that kingdom. So the bad things we've done in our life, the Bible calls sin, actually stops us being in an re eternal relationship with God. And so Jesus came and died on the cross for us so that if we put our faith in him, we believe in him and we repent of our sin, that means we turn away from our wrongdoing and say sorry for our sin, then the Bible says God will forgive us in the name of Jesus and we can be right with him. So evangelism is about telling that story, basically. And the reason we tell that story is so that more people can hear how they can be right with God. Because the Bible teaches over and over that if you don't hear that, then how are you going to know what the right thing is? Um, I remember one time I was driving uh, my car and I was running late and so I may or may not have been going a little bit over the speed limit. And I had been talking to my friends when I first got my P's about the fact that if you go five kilometres an hour over the speed limit, the police don't really care. So I was doing about, oh, I don't know, three or four kilometres an hour over the speed limit and I got pulled over by a policeman. And the policeman came over to me and he said, You're, you were speeding. And I said, well, kinda. I was kinda speeding. And he said, what do you mean? There's no kinda speeding. You were speeding. You were over the speed limit. And I said, but I didn't know that three kilometres an hour over the speed limit was over the speed limit. He said, well, I don't care if you know or not, it is. Don't try that on if you ever get yourself in a situation where you're talking to a police officer. Don't feign ignorance, it just doesn't work. <laughs> if you're breaking the law and you don't know what law you're breaking, that's actually irrelevant to the police officer because the police officer says, you just broke the law. You can't do that, you're not supposed to do that. And it's a little bit like that with God too. We might feign ignorance and say to God, well, oh, I don't really know about you or how to get right with you or if you, oh, I don't even know enough about you to know if you exist. And even if you do exist, I, I find this whole Christian thing something I might need to spend some time thinking about and understanding before I make a decision to believe what Stuart's saying. And that's a really good position to hold. But see, the point of evangelism is not to say to someone, you need to accept Christ or you won't be right with God that there is a heaven and there is a hell and that if we don't actually get um, Jesus to uh, pay for our sin, then, then we will spend an eternity away from God in hell because we'll have to pay for our own sin. But if we let Jesus pay for our sin, then we'll be able to spend an eternity with God. Now, they're really big concepts. And if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you'll know that even as a Christian, you still find it hard to get your head around all this. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, and I'm assuming in a crowd this big that there's going to be heaps of us that aren't actually Christians that have just come along to check it out, I want to encourage you, it is a big journey. It's an awesome journey. The word evangelism is really, uh, from the Bible, uh, helping people who are Christians to go on a journey with people who aren't Christians to help them to get their head around some of these really exciting concepts. And that's exactly why Paul went to the town of Corinth he went there to help them to understand the difference Jesus makes. And he spent a year and a half with them in about 50 AD. Took him about a year and a half to help them to think it through. So if this is the first time you've been to a church or the first time you've come along and heard the, the story about Jesus, don't worry if it takes a while to get your head around it. Because I know some people in this room that came to this church for 11 years before they decided they wanted to become Christians. That's, that's okay, it's good. 
So, but evangelism is we tell the story about Jesus and we do it in a gentle way so that people can actually have a conversation about faith. That's one of the reasons we have the dinners at church, so people can spend time asking people questions and investigating things for themselves. But I want to come back to my question. What stops us having conversations of faith with people these days? What, what stops evangelism? Well, I've, I've had a bit of a crack at um, putting down a few things that I hear people talk about. Um, maybe evangelism telling people about Jesus doesn't happen as much as it used to because of declining attendances in churches. Maybe there's not as many people going to church as there used to be. Maybe because of all the scandals that the church has been in, people have lost confidence in the church. Uh, we've been rocked by numerous sexual abuse scandals involving members of the clergy who haven't been looking after children. Of course people are going to find the church hard to trust when they hear those sorts of terrible things. And there have been some wolves that have come in amongst the sheep and have taken advantage of people in churches. Some people point to the fact that modernisation and social change means that today's uh, modern Australian person isn't really interested in the same kinds of ideas that the Christian church has been teaching for thousands of years. Maybe Christianity is a little bit old-fashioned. Maybe it doesn't have the answers that we're looking for today. That's what some people are thinking. There's also financial challenges. In the media recently, there's been a number of churches who've been called to account for the misuse of people's funds. If you're not really aware of it, churches like ours um, are based on the generosity of the people who come along. And so we don't get any money from outside of the church. We, as a community, pull, pull, pull some of our money together so some of us can be put aside to preach and to teach and encourage. But some churches take advantage of people and actually use their money in a bad way. There's all sorts of reasons why the church might be declining. Another might be the persecution of the state. And that's an age-old problem. There was an old, early Christian author called Turillian who is often uh, credited with the famous quote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You see, right back at the very beginning of the church, there were people persecuting Christians. But what Terillion found out was that the more the state persecuted the church or tried to kill the leaders and arrest the people in the churches, the more it grew. And that is still the case today in places like China, where the church is still growing despite persecution. They actually take out bulldozers and knock churches down over in China at the moment. But... According to latest estimates from a secular publication in America called The Economist, today the estimate, the most conservative estimate, is that they think there's about 80 million Christians in China. Now that's like four times the population of Australia in a country where it's illegal to meet like we're doing tonight and just talk about evangelism. So when the state tries to stop people evangelising, it seems to grow. It's a strange reality, but it does. But in the Sutherland Shire, I think particularly in the place where we live, people are less and less enthusiastic about sharing the evangelistic story with their friends. And what worries me is if we are less likely to share the story of Jesus with other people, then that's less people who are going to hear about it and the less time people are going to have to digest it and the less people who will come to know Jesus. And in this year where we're launching our Double Up uh, Discipleship Ministry um, we're doubling up our discipleship, we're doubling up our mission and trying to double up our resources as a church, it's a really important question to ask ourselves, what stops us evangelising? And I'd like to ask you tonight, and I'd like to ask myself tonight, those of us that are Christians, what's stopping us evangelising our friends if we think it's such a good story? If we think the news about Jesus is so awesome, what stops us telling other people about Jesus?
Well, in the passage in Corinthians tonight, Paul doesn't mention any of the things that I've just spoken about. He says there's a problem that can happen in churches that has nothing to do with all those other things I've just said. The problem actually has to do with those of us who are Christians in the church. It's not just the minister's fault or the institution of the church or the changing culture. It's actually something that goes on in the heart of Christians sometimes that we get timid. And what the problem Paul's going to point out to us tonight, which would be interesting for us as a church to think about if we've got any problem with this as well, is the church in Corinth had stopped evangelising because they'd become divided. They were arguing with each other. And they were arguing with each other so much that they'd actually stopped working together as a team. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute you went to the football tonight instead of coming here. I don't even know where the Sharks are playing tonight. I know they're playing the Dolphins, and I think we're a long way behind just quietly. I think it's like 30 nil or something, so I'm a Sharks fan. If there's any other Sharks fans, I commiserate. But imagine if you went down to, to see your team play, whether they were winning or losing, and they weren't trying to win. You would be a little bit surprised might not be rugby league it might be soccer it might be athletics it might be whatever it might be it might not even be sport imagine if you went to the theater and the team on the stage that was supposed to be presenting hamlet were not actually going through the script because they're arguing with each other about the lighting in front of everyone the light's too bright no it's not it's actually too low i don't like the person who's playing hamlet i think that should be another person well you can imagine how discouraging that would be Again, coming back to the sporting field, imagine if the backs were arguing with the forwards and the backs were saying, like, you're not pulling your weight and they're like, well, you're not pulling your weight and everyone was arguing on the field, you'd just get up and go home. Maybe buy a hot dog on the way out, but you'd still probably go home. Well, I wonder if that might be sometimes the reality for us as Christians. And even if it's not a real hostile division, sometimes there is a bit of division in the church. Well, what I want to look at today from Corinthians, just really briefly, is that the church in Corinth was divided and it had a problem. But the good news was that God still used them despite their division. The great thing about uh, sport is you often have a coach. And at half time, whether it be netball or rugby league or soccer or whatever it might be, the second half happens after the coach gets the team together and says, right, what's going on? Let's have a bit of a think about how we're going. And Corinthians is like a half time talk for the church at Corinth. You see, the church was planted in 50 AD, Paul spent a year and a half with the church and then he moved on. Five years later, a lady from uh, this passage that we heard read called Chloe in verse 11 writes a letter to Paul saying, hey Paul, we've got a problem, we need your advice, we've got some questions for you. But it's really interesting, isn't it, when the coach is at that point where the team is behind 30 nil at half time and they've got to somehow pull something out of the bag to turn the second half around. What is Paul going to say to the church in Corinth? Well, he says three things. He says briefly, I planted this church at Corinth. So I've got something I want to say to you. The second thing he says is that the church at Corinth is holy, set apart for God and very beautiful. The third thing is this beautiful holy church, though, is divided and we can do something about that. So let's have a look. Um, First of all, before we dive into the passage uh, in a bit more detail, in Acts 18, 
we hear the story about how the church is planted in Corinth and Paul is on his second missionary journey and he goes and he spends a year and a half there. As I said, Corinth is a rich cosmopolitan city in Greece and it's still there today, but it was known for its commerce, its culture and its religious diversity. After Paul left that church, though, the problems started to arise. The church in Corinth was having significant problems about division, but also about sexual immorality and lots of other problems that were coming up in the church. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to remind him of these three things that I talked about. First of all, in verse 1, he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes is just his mate who helped him to plant the church. What Paul says there is, I'm going to... Before I actually answer your questions, I want to remind you that I am actually an apostle of Jesus. The the reason's going to become clear in a minute. Do you know what an apostle is? If we've learned about evangelism tonight, now we're going to learn about what what an apostle is. An apostle is a sent one from God to evangelise. And the thing about Paul is, he says in other letters that he writes, he's like one unnaturally born, because he wasn't part of the original 12 disciples that Jesus had, or the 12 apostles. Paul was actually chosen by Jesus in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to kill Christians, to persecute them. And Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he says, Paul, Paul, why, or Saul his name was, he changes his name to Paul, but Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul just goes blind and then has to think all this through and then he actually becomes a Christian. So here's, here's an example of why persecution isn't stopping the church because even a persecuted one is someone who can actually come to hear the evangelistic message and be changed. Well, Jesus takes this one who was persecuting people and asks him to be his apostle. Jesus sends Paul to the people who aren't Jews. Because up until this point, the Jews were hearing the gospel and were being evangelised, but the people who weren't Jews, called Gentiles, weren't hearing about it. So Paul is now sent to the Gentiles. And so when he sets up the church in Corinth, he's reminding them that everything they have from God is a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, he says they're holy. Have a look at that with me. To the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all, uh, with all those everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, their Lord and ours, grace and peace be to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 4 to 5, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge. So notice there in verse 2, he calls the church a holy people. But in a minute, he's going to talk to them about being divided. How can they be divided and actually fumbling around on the field and arguing with each other if they've been set aside for the purpose of evangelism and meant to work together? Holiness is part of being a Christian because... Even though we have done wrong, we're forgiven of that wrong. And when we actually ask for forgiveness, the Bible says that we are given a new nature. Paul, in his other writings, says that the Holy Spirit of God himself is given to someone who accepts Jesus as their Lord so that they can actually be forgiven and be holy. And the Holy Spirit of God lives in the heart of all Christians. And so a Christian, by definition, is somebody who's holy. And what's really beautiful about this is we're going to see time and time again in Corinthians that the people of Corinth were not acting as holy people. But the great news is, is when they became Christians, all the wrongdoing they ever did got forgiven in the past and all the wrongdoing they did in the future is also forgiven. So when Jesus says, I've come 
to bring the kingdom. He invites us to join the kingdom as people who are sinful, but he says, even though you are sinful, I am holy. And so I can pay for your sin and then you will be regarded as holy by God. And so that means that on the day of judgment, when we all stand before God, and after we die, we all will stand before God on judgment day, when he says to you and me, if you're a Christian, and he says to you, why should I let you into the kingdom of heaven? You just say, because of Jesus. <laughs> that means you're regarded as holy. You can come into to heaven. And that's a gift of grace and peace in verse 3. And, and the, the wonderful thing is that Paul says that is true even when we're failing. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel guilty for the things I do wrong. Do you feel guilty for the things you do wrong sometimes? Sometimes guilt can be absolutely even worse than the things we do. <laughs> you can carry around guilt for years about the things you do. But the great news about being a Christian is if you ask Jesus to forgive your sins... We're told in the Bible that he takes your sin and he throws it as far away as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. So we don't have to be guilty anymore. And that's what Paul's vibing here in verse 4 and 5 when he says, you've actually been enriched in every way. You have everything you need as a person because of what Jesus Christ has given you. So if in your life, I want to speak to those of us here today who aren't Christians yet, I want to ask you a question. In your life, do you sometimes feel like something's not enough, that you don't feel like life is fulfilling enough? Well, it might be because you haven't actually trusted in Jesus yet. Because there's something special that takes place in your heart when you know you're safe in eternity and that also you can have a purpose on this earth that goes beyond just yourself. In 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 9, he says, "'You do not lack any spiritual gift "'as you eagerly await the Lord Jesus to be revealed.'" He will also keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus. God is faithful who has called you into the fellowship with his son. It's amazing that he says that despite what he goes on to say next. Because Jesus has saved us, we are holy, so we are called on to live a holy life. Coming back to my football analogy, if you have played sport at all, I don't know, tennis, basketball, soccer, whatever it might be, some sports you pull on a jersey. You're part of the team. Whether you play badly or well, you're part of the team. As Christians, we are clothed in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Colossians. So we are actually safe in eternity. So if you've got the jersey on, you play up to that jersey. Do your best. And when you fail, you try again. But the church here in Corinth is not trying again, it's divided. And the reason it's divided is they can't make up their mind who their coach is. Imagine coming into the change room and everybody arguing about who to listen to. Here's Paul in the change room of Corinth saying, hey, you guys need to pull yourselves together and stop arguing with each other. And then there's all these people arguing, should we listen to this bloke or not? Have a look there at verse uh, 12. One of you says, I follow Paul, another Apollos, another Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. And this is the point where we as Christians can sometimes fall down. We can sometimes get a little bit divided and forget what we're supposed to be doing. Well, in this case, some of the Christians at Corinth were saying, Paul is the church planter who planted this church. My loyalty is to Paul. And we want to stay... These people are the kind of people that say, we're the founders of the church and we want to stay true to the roots of this church. Now, there's some people here at Soul Revival who started Soul Revival together. And some of us may be very tempted sometimes to feel a bit like this. I, I, I help plant Soul Revival. We, we are Soul Revival. You, Christians can get a little bit too excited about 
being part of their church. It sounds strange, but sometimes we can stop listening to other voices because we're so keen to stick to what we said we do at the beginning. But other people here at Soul Revival might not have been in their original group, but they might be looking around at what we've done tonight and going, wow, you could be a little bit more professional, guys. You know, you're calling Fee and Sidey up and then someone got up and someone got down. There may be one or two people here tonight going, we need to be a bit more professional here at the church and that's what will get evangelism going. Well, that's the people who were following Apollos in this letter because there was a guy called Apollos who was a cracker preacher. Paul himself was boring as and Apollos was considered very professional and very good. So some people are following Paul and some people are following Apollos. Yet others are saying, well, this is a ridiculous argument because I follow Peter, the first disciple who was chosen by Jesus, where Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church on you, Peter. So some were saying, I follow Peter. Others in the factions at Corinthian, the Corinthian church were saying, we actually are the best Christians of all. We're better than all of you. Because do you know who we follow? We follow Jesus. That's a big call to say we're the best Christians, but that's what some of the Christians at Corinth were like. So here lies the problem. They're all arguing about who's in charge. And sometimes we as a church can be like that. The young people and the old people can argue with each other sometimes. Sometimes the older people can say, oh, this church only cares about young people. Or sometimes the, the younger people can go, why do these old fuddy-duddies tell us to do things the way they did it? Why can't we do our own thing? Sometimes men and women argue. Sometimes people of different ethnic backgrounds argue. Sometimes people who are from different gatherings, even at our church, can argue with each other. And sometimes, and I say this with a great deal of gentleness, sometimes I even hear us competing against each other in this church. Sometimes I hear people on Saturday night going, how many people went on Sunday morning? And then I'll tell them and they'll go, ooh, we had 10 more. Ooh. <laughs> Does it really matter? Because you see, those sorts of things can get in the way. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, and you've come along and you see a couple of Christians arguing about stuff like that, you're less likely to think about the fact that we might be onto it with something really important to share. There is a solution to this. 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. Does that mean we have to agree on everything? No, we don't have to agree on everything. Monica and I have very different politics, don't we, Monica? <laughs> we don't have to vote for the same people. That'd be boring, wouldn't it, if the whole church here at Sorrel Revival all voted for the same political party, we're all united in politics? No, that's not what we're supposed to be united in. Do we all follow the same code? No. I like soccer, but I also like rugby league. Joel doesn't even care about rugby league. Does that matter? Doesn't matter at all. But see, Joel doesn't surf. I do, sort of, less and less. <laughs> Does that matter? Does it matter if you have something in common with the people you go to church with? Do we all have to be the same race? Do we have to be the same age? Do we have to have the same interests? Do we have to be all the same class? No. What matters is that we have one heart and mind in the gospel. That's what we agree on. Because then all of a sudden something beautiful happens. I wanted to say the word magical, but I don't think it's magical because that has other connotations, but it's kind of true. When we share the truth and love of Jesus together, 
we are united. When we evangelise, we are united. Unfortunately, in the Church of Christ, it's not just arguments that divide us, it's actually different priorities, actually. We get so busy doing so many different things that we don't work together in evangelism. I think Western churches, particularly in Sydney, and I think in particular in the Southern Shire, and I don't know what it's like down in Wollongong, where you guys come from, but I think we do too many things. I just want to put it out there. I think we're all doing too many... Lee and I were talking about this before the church service. How busy are you? I think we're all living frantic lives, but I don't think we ever stop to ask, why am I doing so many things? Why do I have to do all this stuff? I remember back to a simpler time when, um, when I was growing up as a little kid, we used to get clothes twice a year, Christmas and birthday. And we used to get a few toys twice a year. And I was thinking about my life today. If I, if I want a new T-shirt, I'd just go up to Miranda Fair and I'd just go and buy one. We've become super rich, but time poor because we're spending so much time on material things. I remember, again, when I was a little kid back in the 70s, and I know that's when the dinosaurs walked the earth, but back in the 1970s, people used to have Sunday off and not do anything, just go to church, maybe ask if anyone wanted to come around for lunch. Simpler times. I'm not saying we have to go back to that, but there's also a question of why don't we slow down. The Bible says that it's good to have a Sabbath, a day of rest. Do we rest very much? Not heaps. I remember also when I used to just play one sport a year. I, I could choose between soccer or cricket. But now we do so many things all the time and we do it because everybody else does it, I think. And we've just fallen into that. I, I know we say we're too busy to read the Bible and to pray, but we're not too busy to look at social media. Paul says in verse 17 to finish, For Christ did not send me to baptise but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, but lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Why did he say that? Because another one of the arguments people were arguing about was, well, Paul Paul baptised me. Paul's like, I can't even remember who I baptised. You heard it in the reading. I don't care who I baptised. Is that because he doesn't care about baptism? No, he does care about baptism. Baptism is important. And again, if you're not a Christian here tonight... Christians get baptised, they go into the water and come back up again to symbolise the new birth that you have when you become a Christian. But the point is, it doesn't matter who baptises you or where you get baptised, you don't have to argue about those kind of religious things. The point is that we're a Christian and we trust in Jesus. And if we trust in Jesus, we tell other people about that. And Paul here says the purpose of his life is very narrowly and clearly defined. He says, I think I have been called to do one thing, preach the gospel in verse 17. And that is evangelism. So I think a few things are happening for us today that's the same as Corinth. We get divided. We argue between denominations. Do we sing enough? Do we not sing enough? Do we have enough ritual? Do we have not enough ritual? Do we have communion enough times a term? All these things we can argue about. And if we get caught up in the minutiae of the stuff we do at church, we can forget to preach the gospel because we have different leaders that we follow, because we have different styles, but also because we're actually allowing differences to divide us in our generation. And I think something the church can give to the whole of Australia is let's stop looking at the things that divide us and let's look at the things that we have in common that can bring us together. And the Christian church can start by saying, let's get together even if we're different. That's why we go on friendship visits to Brewarrina. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea to go and visit an Aboriginal church 10 hours away, in northwest New South Wales. 
But when we are there and people drive past us and they see city people with Aboriginal people doing church together, they go, why are they doing that? I don't see that normally. And people say it's because the Jesus they follow. They're doing it together. Why, why, would, why would it look unreal if some of the Kirawi people went to Yarrawarra? Not because we need anyone to do it, but it would be unreal to preach the gospel together with Yarrawarra and then we're not going to be divided. If Kirawi and Cronulla can preach the gospel together, we're not going to compete with each other. It's not going to be, oh, those people at Soul Revival have all the resources and we don't get anything, or, or the people at Kirawi saying, why do we have these churches anyway? Like, why are we spending all this money on these little churches? We wouldn't think like that, would we? If we actually go and meet each other and we are friends together based on serving Jesus together, it's what Paul's saying here in verse 17. That's how we be united. So my encouragement tonight is this. Even if you don't go to Yarrawarra or Cronulla or Brewarrina, tonight when we break out of this formal time, it would be unreal if you and a few friends could find someone who's different to yourself and just go, can I have dinner with you? Might be a bit too scary if you're a shy person, so don't do it if it's scary. But if you have the capacity to do it, it will grow unity around the gospel if we start not just seeing this room full of people like the movies where you come with your friends and you sit in the same spot each week, but you actually see this whole room as potential friends, that we together serve Jesus together. And the funny thing is when we start thinking like that, when the divisions go, that's when the evangelism starts because we look forward to coming to church, we love it, and then we just share it because it's something we're excited about. So thanks for being here tonight. I hope you've been encouraged if you're a Christian or if you're someone who's still checking it out. I'm really encouraged as we look through Corinthians to remember that even if we don't get it right, we are holy because Jesus has saved us. So I'm going to finish by thanking him for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's words to us tonight that you can... in you can remind us that we actually don't miss out on anything if we follow you, that we are enriched in every way. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.